I'm John Crane. And I'm Bernie Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session. With our dad, Jason Crane. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 429 for February 17th, 2014. On today's show, Brian Landris. Thanks to the folks at 92Y, especially Merrill Wheeler, for making this interview possible. As you can tell, it's been a couple months since the last episode of the show. I recorded six episodes, six interviews, I should say, in August and September of 2013, and then those aired from October to the end of December, and then I was out of interviews. So I traveled to New York a couple weeks ago to record another batch, and you'll hear those over the next several weeks, starting with today's show. Thank you to the following Kickstarter donors who helped make this season possible. Chandra Crouch, Laura Breitenbeck, Bob Shepard, Jessica Lurie, Kendra Shank, Patrick McCurry, Joe Germuska, Seth Tissue, Jason Guthartz, Gail Schreira, Roz Corral, Sarah Lieb, James Falzone, Kate McGarry, Chuck Ingersoll, Sue Edwards, Stephen Crowder, Kevin Forsman, Nick Moyes, Rachel Shadowan, Emily Weiner, David Hill, Jeff Golick, Nadia Nordhaus, Carolee Bennett, Nate Wright, and David Kluge. More in the next episode. You can help keep the show going even now by becoming a member. $5 a month gets you MP3s and other exclusive content. For this episode, I'm uploading free MP3s by today's guest, Brian Landris, and also by past guest, Bill Anshell. You can join at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks to the following people who've joined since the last episode, Chris Lipscomb, Daniel Hines, Karen Gilmartin, Ted Vieira, Terry Hinty, and Mike Wilson have all become members. Remember to join, just visit thejazzsession.com slash join, and for five bucks a month, you get free MP3s with every single show. Also on this episode, I'm giving away four CDs by today's guest, Brian Landris. At the end of the show, I'll tell you how to win one, so stay tuned after the interview for details. Remember, you can rate the show in iTunes and also leave a review, and if you do that, it helps the show climb up in the iTunes rankings. You can also comment on each episode by visiting thejazzsession.com, and each show has its own post with notes, links to find out more about the artist, to follow them on Twitter, to find their website, to buy their music, and of course, to leave a comment about that episode. Also, you can support the show by buying the artist's music via the Jazz Session, just go to thejazzsession.com slash store, and each artist's album will be right there for you to purchase. It'll send you to amazon.com, and for no extra money to you, you'll be sending a little extra money to me. I get a little cut of whatever you purchase when you follow one of those links. As a matter of fact, you can click on one of those albums and then buy anything you want, and a little piece of your purchase will come back to support the Jazz Session. As I mentioned, the folks at 92Y were very kind in sending me to New York a couple weekends ago to interview Brian Landris. And while I was there, I interviewed some other folks, too. Brian is the creative force behind a soul jazz festival that's happening at the 92Y, and we'll hear more about that in just a few moments. But first, here's a track from Brian's nine-piece band called Kaleidoscope.
My guest is saxophonist Brian Landers. It's great to have you on the show, man, and to finally meet you. Thanks for being here. Well, it's great to meet you. Thank you for coming here. My pleasure. We're uh, we're here to talk uh, about you, but also about uh, a very cool event that's happening at 92Y coming up uh, pretty soon, actually, as folks are listening to this. Will you talk about when that is and what it is? Yeah, it's uh, it's Soul Jazz Festival in uh, at the 92nd Y. It's on March 14th and 15th, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be amazing. The the Friday night is uh, it's my band opening up, uh, and it's my my nine piece band, so we have the strings and everything. And then it's DJ Logic and friends, so his whole thing, uh, totally different world. It's gonna be beautiful. Uh, and then closing it out is Joey DeFrancesco's All Star Band. And that was a, a pleasure to kind of be involved, putting all the, the guys together. So I got a bunch of dudes I love. So it's George Garzone is playing, uh, Brian Lynch, uh, Nierfelder, and Billy Hart with him. So it's gonna that day is going to be incredible. Uh, the next night, Saturday, March 15th, is Esperanza Spaulding. And she's actually doing new music that she, she started writing. And she's really going to kind of showcase a whole new world that she's doing right now. So... Um, that should be a special night as well. Now, I know for you personally, and we'll get to this, that the kind of soul jazz R&B world, that's deep in your own roots. But how did this particular <clears throat> festival come about? Well, it, it started with um, I was I was talking with the people at the 92nd Y about about uh, how they have they have jazz in July. And they were actually trying to get something, uh, another side of jazz going as an annual event and trying to put something together with, with artists in a, in a different world from the traditional side that they have in Jazz in July. Uh, Jana, uh, Jana Stotland, who had, who's the, the head of the music department there, uh, there's a music school, which he's in charge of. And I've been teaching there for, I believe, six years. So I've known her for a long time, and uh, we were we were trying to figure out what how to get the artist, how to get it all together, and then uh, I basically just told I had the idea of just trying to put together a festival where we have we have several acts going uh, that are in that in that world in a totally different concept um, of the of traditional jazz, uh, and and try to see if we can we can get something completely new happening in that environment because the hall is. The hall is incredible. They have history going back to to Monk and Sarah Vaughan and uh, Jerry Mulligan, and it's they've been having jazz there since the '50s. So I thought it'd be nice to introduce some a, a different style that hasn't been played in the hall. So it's like turntables is kind of blowing some minds right now. It's great, um, and it's it's just it's a it's a type of music that uh, that I've really enjoyed over my life. Yeah, let's let's say some more about that. Your I know your um, professional background, you know, with everything from from Motown to soul jazz. I mean, goes back to kind of your earliest days as a as a performer. Would you say something about that? And talk about how yeah, you... um, I I've always loved it. I've always loved uh, groove, and I get life is just crazy. When I look, I grew up in Reno, and the, and one of the benefits of uh, being so close to to Vegas and Tahoe and that whole area, there's 
there was this huge scene of Motown bands and a lot of just acts from the late 60s, 70s that were coming through and touring. Uh, and so when I was, actually when I was 16, I remember just turning 16 and uh, I got hired to play with the Coasters and the Drifters. And so it was my first introduction into that world and the trumpet play. It was a terrifying experience. <laughs> it, was, it was wonderful. It turned out great. But I remember they, they you know, there's things like uh, stick out in your mind. When I went and did it, they were, first of all, like, who are you? Why are you wearing a tuxedo? What the hell is this? And I'm like, oh, my, my teacher Rico's sick. So he, he asked, you know, he told me to come. It was very last minute. It was the day of kind of deal. And they kind of looked at each other and rolled their eyes and were horrified. And the, and the trumpet player, uh, Mike Whitwell, who's passed uh, several years ago, he was so great. He was like, all right, kid, I'm going to get you through this. And he's like, man, first of all, do you know my one and only love? And I had played it, but I couldn't. I was 16, man. I didn't really, I didn't have it down. He's like, that's, they always call that the middle of the show. That's a tenor feature. You got to go out on the front of the stage. They're going to put a spot on you and it's, it's on, you know. So you better learn that thing right now. And this is like moments before the gig. This is we were we were about to start in like ten minutes. <laughs> At the same time, I'm trying to sight read the book too. I'm going through these I don't know forty fifty pages of music, horrified that it's that I'm actually getting that I have to read this this music. It was you know on the show and the and it was a big theater. It was it's probably you know twelve hundred thirteen hundred people. It was pretty big. So. Uh, so we played, I learned the song and I, you know, we, I played the gig and went out and the spotlight hit me and whoo, I was, and, uh, I remembered the A section, but I couldn't remember the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I just went for it. And, and that's it, when the jazz took over. Yeah, right? the jazz really kicked in. <laughs> and so I, and I remember I was playing with a piano player and he was following me somehow and I just kind of went for it and then played the A section again. And then that was it. And they, and actually, I, there was, I got a huge applause. It was kind of wild. It was, it was weird. It felt like I slid in. It was, whew. So, but afterwards they left me. I mean, I, I got along with those guys and they were, they were, they saw the panic and I, they, I don't know, I got along with them and I just kept, uh, working with them and then working with, uh, the Temptations, the Four Tops, Martha Reeves, uh, and just, with all those people, it was great. Now, had great you grown time. up listening to that music? I mean, like, were your folks the kind of people who like had Motown on, or or was this were you entering a new world for you at that point? Mm, yeah, they had it. They had it on a little bit, not a tremendous amount. Uh, I think I know my earliest memories of of music are uh, actually Michael Jackson and, and that Thriller album. I yeah. remember carrying that around when I was a kid. I just think it was. I loved it. And then I got into Stevie Wonder shortly after that, but I never, I wasn't, no, it was, it was a, it was a new world relatively. I mean, I didn't know all the lyrics or the songs when I was playing them. I knew a lot of the songs, but. Yeah.
Now, it seems like there are people who can enter that world and just stay there as a career forever because those artists, I mean, obviously the fact that they're still touring now, you know, yeah. those things, are, they're kind of eternal. But at some point you decided to do something else, to take a different path of your life. How, yeah. did, that, how did that come about? Well, I think it was always um... – it was I was always a sideman in those things, which is which is wonderful, and obviously you learn a tremendous amount. But but I was seeing as the years go on that versatility and different different things that I wanted to work on are not really conducive to that. I mean, if you're playing the same show every night, it's beautiful, and those guys have it down. But I saw some heartbreaking stuff where it would we try to play a new song. You know, they're doing hit after hit after hit after hit, and then they play a new song, and it, it's gorgeous, and it's just crickets. Uh, it was it was interesting, you know, seeing that kind of. Uh, it it doesn't really encourage uh, growth. I, I don't. I think at a certain at a certain point, if you're just touring, hits. You know, it's great, but I don't know. For me, I just felt like I needed to I needed to see something else and and uh, keep going with it. And I don't think it's that solid of a career as well. Being waiting for the phone to ring is kind of scary sometimes if you're not making it happen yourself. Sure. Uh, so that's it all came in, came into play and also I moved I moved from the area I moved to Boston to go to NEC uh in I guess a little over 10 years ago and so it just ejected me from that from that scene why did you decide to go to NEC uh it was Bob Brookmeyer uh was a huge huge influence for me to go there Jerry Berganzi George Garzone um uh, Danilo Perez, they had, their faculty at that time was so, it's still astounding now, but uh, particularly then, everything, I knew, you know, Brookmeyer was Mulligan's band leader forever, uh, he was one of the guys closely tied to to that whole thing, and his arranging, his composing, his, uh, just everything about Bob, I wanted to, to be around him, and that, so I had applied to a bunch of different schools, and there was no question. I was going to NEC to study with Bob. <laughs> and you had your eye on that point already on leading your own kind of larger bands and you know being able to study with one of the great arrangers and composers, it sounds like. Yeah, I had I started my own groups when I was uh I think seventeen or eighteen. And I had I had a band for uh my first record that that's didn't really I didn't really know what it meant to put out a record so I recorded it and put it in uh, Tower Records so I released it but it was, <laughs> it was like Tower Records in Reno so I, I think there's some floating around but but that was uh it was a nine piece band and it was so but I had no arranging chops whatsoever but but I always loved the sound of a, a large ensemble and the power you can get and it was I love the feeling of all the the collaborators the larger the group and small is beautiful as well but but I've always kind of leaned towards that what what is it about nine piece bands? It seems like there's some, some magic in that number of people. What is it about that a band about that size that allows you to do what you want to do? Yeah, there's. Uh, it kind of seems like if you get into if you get into large ensemble, that's kind of where it uh, really you can do it. You can do everything with nine people. I, feel, I mean, you could maybe do a little with some less, but it's really there's so many possibilities with that number, depending on what direction you go uh, musically and the coloristically. But I think. Uh, you can you can flush that out from there, but almost doublings are going to then occur. It's, it's you know if you have eighteen guys or so, so w- there's going to be some doubling going on, which may re- even reinforce the music. Uh, but I don't know if it necessarily makes it, I don't know if it makes it better at that point. You can do so much. Uh, obviously, if I could write for an orchestra, which I plan on doing at some point soon, it's that's that's another thing. There's doublings there, but hey, woo, can't wait. Yeah. Will you talk about your your current large ensemble? Yeah, uh, when I st- the Kaleidoscope band, I started that in 
guess it was 2000, uh, 2008, 2000, no, even before that, 2006. And then it, we, we recorded our first record and it was, it's an electric quintet. Uh, so it's, uh, it's guitar, Rhodes mainly, although there's piano also and Whirly and, uh, bass drums, bass is acoustic and electric drums. And then I'm playing Barry sax, uh, bass clarinet, bass flute, contra alto clarinet and bass sax. If I didn't say that. So, uh, it's, it's so that that then was our first record. The the most recent record, I I took that and then I just I added a string uh, string quartet to it, and just I've always heard that I wanted to do it and uh, I just I just had to do it. So was there a learning curve involved in that for you, adding strings to the mix? Oh, for sure, it's still going. Yeah, it's still <laughs> it's still. I I'm sure I know like Mark Feldman. I called him a bunch over different different issues that I had. Asking him if it was you know, what certain things were possible, and yeah, there's and that's one of the most intriguing parts about it when you get into it, where uh, you're you're forced to just learn everything that you can in a short amount of time. But that it's, I had written for strings years back and had some practice, but uh, you know, it, uh, it certainly kicked my ass. But it was a very positive thing, and it's. I'm still learning, and it's it's there's so many things you can do with them. I just scratched the surface, so I want to do another record with them and uh, get to the next level. Can you talk about why uh, the groove that kind of runs throughout your music is so important to you? What is it about that that makes it a kind of a hallmark of what you're doing? Uh, you know, it it connect. I guess I just I connect to it. Um, I, I just, I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm I'm going to do another couple records soon and I'm trying to figure out what what exactly to to do because I love all sorts of different styles of inside of jazz even and the groove is just when I'm when I'm writing and I'm not focusing on anything other than what I'm hearing that's what I'm hearing so when I when I've been able to tap into what I'm what I'm just feeling at the time or it always it always turns into a groove and and for that reason, I have to do that. You know, it's fundamentally that's to me the most important thing I have as an artist is is being true to what I what I'm hearing and what I'm what I want to do is is listen and tap in as much as possible. And if that's that's what's going, then I, I got to do it. And then it's and it's turned into a um, yeah, it's like a theme that does go throughout a couple albums. And I don't know, I I didn't mean to do that, but I guess it's me writing it, so it's just it. It just happens as natural progression, but but I love the I love that feel. I love different different kind of grooves. And my favorite music that connects the most to my heart is uh, is music that has some kind of really some heavy groove going, and that can be all sorts of different world music or or anything. But that's I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. This and it's hard it's hard to answer because it's I'm not I'm not I'm not sure. Exactly. It's not necessarily an intellectual exercise. It sounds more like it's kind it's of the coming opposite. from inside you. Right? It's yeah. completely opposite. Cause, because I, when I get into uh, – even studying with Bob, with Brookmeyer, it was, there was a lot of stuff that he did to, to get outside of that, to, um, to go into the intellectual world in the sense of uh, randomizing melodies, throwing dice, you know, as assigning them uh, either you know, pitches or, interval, or intervals away from your initial pitch or rhythm val- rhythmic values. There's all sorts of stuff you can do that, that, uh, to kind of get, get different, uh, I guess it is like a randomness into your, into your writing so it doesn't sound as much like you. Uh, 
and I, I need to do a lot more of that, but if I, I do feel like for the last few records, I have tried to just completely go into what I'm, what I'm hearing. And I have, and a lot of it also is I have lyrics for every song. So when I'm writing and I'm singing piano or I'm just thinking the words or whatever it is, then that, that turns into something else. I love just, uh, you know, this is audio, so everybody who's listening to this can't see it, but just watching you talk about this music, I mean, you have like this enormous smile on your face, and you're super animated about it, I mean, it just, it feels like there's just so much kind of passion and joy connected, like you're you're making the music you want to be making. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks, man. I, I feel really blessed. I feel that uh, it's such a, it's, it's an amazing time for me because I, I just, I've been doing this music forever, and, and honestly, when I put... When I put this last record together, um, this was—I had several people, really great friends, and I know they were trying to help, but they said, "Man, it's not you. I don't think you should do this. I don't think think you're—it's that's kind of crossing the line." Almost, that's you know, and I got and I understand, and they were saying it was going to be commercially. Uh, I had one producer friend of mine who I sent it to before I, a- after I recorded it, and I said, and he said, "Don't ever let this get out. It will destroy your career." Why? <laughs> what, what was the danger? Uh, he said that it was. He said, "Right now, I have a reputation in the industry for being uh, avant-garde, but still having some groove. But this would just push it into a whole nother like fusion." He was, yeah. So he just he said it was. It would be really. It would kind of ruin me. So I, it, I mean, he was, and it was funny because it, it didn't, it wasn't, he was trying to help. He was trying. And so I, at the time I thought, man, that could be, wow, that's kind of, holy crap. But at the time, you just have to, you have to believe in it. And I'm like, yeah, I think this is strong and I have to just, just put it out and do it. And it's gotten more of a response than anything I've ever done. And that was, and if this was, if of any album I've ever done, any project I've done in my life where it was just felt right, where I just was doing exactly what what I was hearing and just kind of, I felt like I was, it's just, I don't feel like I write music. I feel like it's just a gate. Something just is coming already. It's already there. It's just my job to find what it is. And I don't like taking credit for it because it's, sometimes it's too easy. The thing, it just, just happens. And so this, I just went with. It just felt natural. It felt right. 
And so having people enjoy it feels feels wonderful. And then to be able to do a festival where I'm playing music with with these guys who are just leaders in that world and and you know my heroes a lot. It's just it's amazing. I feel I feel really lucky. Long-time listeners of the jazz sessions should skip the next about 30 to 45 seconds because I've said this 8 million times. But I will say listening to you for me, it really proves the truth of the thing that is so true for me, which is that, uh, you know, for all the time that I lived in New York, I went to see music a lot. And because of the world that I work in, I mostly went to see jazz, um, even though that's not primarily what I listen to when I'm away from work. Um, and the stuff that always moved me the most was the music that had an obvious emotional connection to the people performing it, um, where the technical aspects might also be brilliant and at a genius level, but the but for me, what was important was that I could get some sense of the emotion of the performers. And often for me, that's based in – but not always. But it's often based in also having a really strong rhythmic sense because that is, that's what connects with me too. The music that I like listening to is all really heavily rhythmically based. Um, and it when I listen to you talk, it just feels very much like that kind of a thing. Like it's not – this is not something I'm doing to show all of the wide range of technical knowledge I've amassed, but I'm just doing it because that's who I am, and I want to communicate that to the people who are in the room listening to the music, which to me is kind of what it's about. Man, thank you. That's you said it perfectly. That's yeah. That's how how it feels. It feels, uh, I, you know. And sometimes you get into these musical situations that I know if it's really challenging um, and really. If you're just getting your ass kicked, I love that feeling. It's a different thing, and it's like if you're playing and you're just hanging on for deal or whatever it what's whatever's going on. And sometimes I'll be playing gigs like that or doing stuff, and I don't know if it really doesn't connect to me as much. And I I I love that, and I know it's challenging. And some of the some of the music that I had done over the years that I wrote that I was trying to, I feel like maybe I got a little too much away from that. It just out and sometimes fear too with. I had heard a, a lot of people say like if you have groove in your stuff, then people just really don't don't dig it and won't take you serious. But it's it's for, for me a key part of that sentence is the question of who the people are in that sentence, <laughs> right? Like people who actually like regular people will in fact dig it, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. like actual human beings right. walking around on the street. See, they, they play one right. of your records, your you know your recent records, and you can actually they have something to. To right. hang on to, like that, it, it in That's some way saying, relates right. to something they've ever heard before. Yes, yes. You know, so, but maybe that yes, the priesthood in the jazz world, yes, might might sniff at it. Yeah, but I think just like regular folks, I mean, there's if the music doesn't have That's it. some yeah. kind of emotion in it, and it can be very technically challenging. I don't mean I'm in no way suggesting that the music all has to have a four on the floor backbeat and all. I mean, that's not of the course, case. Yeah, but it just has to be for me. It has to show that a human being poured something into it right. for me to really right. react. Yeah, out of the heart instead of the brain sometimes. It's kind of – sometimes you can see this where it's it's just – it's really great stuff. But, yeah, I don't know if it's if anyone's feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's very true. And that's, that's where – I guess that's where a lot of musicians and – I've had this talk with a lot of friends, uh, musicians, and just people who – just artists in general and just and about – about the how when you are there there's this uh I, I remember going to I was just telling this story to a friend. We I had some friends in town and we went we went to a club and 
and I, we heard the song and, I, and it was people that were from out of town. They're like, we have to go to a jazz club where let's go. So I'm re- reluctantly was like, all right, let's go to this jam session. They're like, yeah, let's play. Okay. So we go and I walked in and the tune, I recognized it kind of it was one of those. Where it's like, I heard that, but why does it sound weird? And one of my friends was like, it's body and soul, but they were playing it. It like 300. It was so burning. It's like... <laughs> it was just... And and we kind of looked at each other and we're kind of like... Man, that, it was just... It was bizarre that... But it was like an Olympic event. It was like hurdles or something. Like, get going. There's some sand traps and like... I mean, it was crazy, and so these, and it was funny because the kids were getting getting up and just trying to play over the chain, or even if they were cutting it, it was just, I don't know. And we kind of looked, and I was trying to get out of there because I was just like, I even I had my horn out and was putting it away, and my and they're like, no, let's play. And it's just it's strange where that kind of some of that that scene. I don't want to talk bad about any. Any of the scenes, because that's a valid place, and there was many times where I would have been playing that too, and been, been like, "Here's my look, what I, you know." But I kind of am over that in, in a lot of yeah. ways, you know. Uh, when I, I don't like feeling like I have to prove myself, I just rather play music. It just whatever happens is, and I, you, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. it's a, it's a scene inside. It's it's interesting. It's really interesting, and I think those, some maybe those are people that don't like pocket in, in the music but now all of that said 10 feet behind your head is a copy of the sheet music for body and soul on the piano which i assume is so that you can learn to play it at 300 right? <laughs> yeah yeah that's what i'm saying i'm playing it on piano at 400 right, now exactly. it's, it's just one tone yeah it's it's pretty incredible you wait to see it man. that's join awesome. the circus i'll be i'll be watching that on youtube that's <laughs> yeah. really that's very exciting <laughs> As we uh, as we get toward the end here, I do want to come back to the festival at ninety two Y. And will you just uh, you mentioned everybody who's playing, but will you uh, just kind of talk about the the range of this 
the world of soul jazz, which is a large world, that's kind of represented by these people. Can you just say right. a little bit more about each of the, yeah. the bands on the bill and absolutely what they brought? I, I would like to say too, thank you, thank you to everyone at the ninety second Y. Uh, it's it's really been amazing working with everyone, and it's for me to be um, to be an artistic advisor for a big festival like this where we're. It was. It's really amazing. I've learned so much, and, and thank you to Hana, uh, thank you to every everyone there, and and Yana, and it's it's just been really, it's been it's been an incredible learning experience, and they've been so supportive because they've they've really encouraged this uh, for me to go out and really try to put together who I think would be a, an amazing event. Um, you know we. When we were when I was putting together the artists that I wanted to get, I wanted to get people that were uh, connected yet diverse, and that's where DJ Logic came in with his band. Uh, what he's doing is so uh, it's so modern, yet he's always tied back to to the tradition. But he he has grown a huge audience because of what we're talking about groove and just funkiness, and just it just feels great. And a lot of his stuff is really, uh, it's just, it's solid in the sense of like rhythmically, it's, it hits, you know, and a lot, of, a lot of people really connect to it. But there's also a complexity inside of that, which is just layers and layers. And I got my, my friend, I just saw the, the list of who's playing in his band. I got my friend Igmar, who was on the road with me a bunch. Igmar is an incredible trumpet player. Um so he's going to be playing. It's going to be a, an amazing night of his stuff. Then, for people, uh, just to interrupt yeah. you quickly, for people who don't know DJ Logic at all, will you just say a little bit about specifically, actually, who he is and yeah, DJ Logic is. Uh, he grew up in New York. He's uh, he's an, he's a he plays the turntables. He uses all sorts of different samples, different different kind of sounds. It's his instrument, and he he works with uh, you know he's played a bunch with Medeski, Martin Wood. He's done a, a bunch of different. Uh, a lot of jam. He's a lot in the jam band scene. Uh, he he works a tremendous amount. He's played with Herbie. He's played with a, a ton uh, of the the top cats around, and he's established himself in a world with where it really does uh, share many different borders of music and genre uh, within each one. It's it's just uh, it's. He's really it's I everyone was so amazed at the why when they started listening to his music they were just it's he's incredible. Um and then after after getting I wanted to put uh Joey DeFrancesco to totally get the other side of it cuz Joey comes out of the organ of, the, of it's like Jimmy Smith, you know? So he's and Jimmy, you go back to like uh, back at the Chicken Shack, like Jimmy Smith. That is the that's the roots of soul jazz. That's where it all started, and it's and Joey has taken that, and he's such a, uh, a virtuoso. It's just, whew, I, you seen him play live? Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. So it's uh, I just to have him, and then his all the guys in his band. I knew that kind of brings it back to the tradition. But yet, also showing what's what's going on and where the, where it all comes from. It's like he's he's been su- such an advocate for that instrument and that sound and that groove, and it's uh, it's it's going to be great to have him. And one thing worth noting for people who are surprised that Billy Hart is the drummer in that particular show, um, and Billy talked about this when he was on the jazz session. But a lot of folks don't know that. I mean, Billy 
cut his teeth playing exactly that kind of music, which a lot of folks don't realize. So they People who only know what he does now might right. say, well, why is he in a soul jazz organ band? But that's because right. <laughs> his roots are deep, <laughs> deep, yeah, deep his, into that. His roots are very deep. And I I got so many Billy stories. I uh, We did we did well off of the CD release and he was playing this thing and, and we were playing one of the tunes and he listened to it and he's like, Brian, I just don't know what, how's this supposed to go? And I didn't want to really tell him how to play. It's Billy Hart. I'm like, man, you just hear what's going on. And he's like, is this like a backbeat kind of thing? And I said, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And so then, and then he, we, so the gig with the rehearsal was, you know, it's all right. And then we go to the gig the first tune, I I took that tune off the list because I didn't think Billy wanted to play it because he didn't, but it was it had a big drum solo in the, the beginning, and and Billy's like Brian, I don't see the where's that tune, Where, and I said I didn't think he wanted. It. He's like yeah, I wanted, I got it, I practiced, yeah, so counted it off, and Billy was an animal on that thing. Oh my <laughs> goodness, Billy was just all over it. So Billy has the roots going back, yeah, and and he and Joey actually just did a record uh, with Sanborn, I think, like a few months ago. Oh, did they really? Okay, yeah, yeah. So they just did a thing together. So when actually when I called Billy to play on the gig, he said uh, he's like, "Oh yeah, we, is Sanborn going to be there?" Because we just did that, and actually we were at one point we we're thinking we we're going to have him, but anyways, it's uh, they those guys go back. They play together a lot. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, remind folks again about the dates of that festival. March 14th and March 15th. Uh, and are those, uh, can you buy like a, a pass for both nights? Is it separate tickets for both nights? Separate Let's, tickets okay. for each night. Okay. Right? Uh, so it's, yeah, so you can come, you can go, and they start, the tickets start at $20, so it's really reasonable. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. And they go up for, you know, but it's, it's, Twenty bucks is great for to see this this music. Yeah, absolutely. and it's and it's a different. The hall itself is gorgeous. So, and obviously we can't predict the actions of the ninety two Y. But are you hoping that this will become a thing that happens? I would love year? for it. Yeah, yeah, I'd love for it to be because it's people seem really interested in it, and I think I think it should do really well. Uh, it's it's really uh, it's going to be an interesting night of music that's that's uh, that's unusual for New York and especially for for that that. Uh, for that venue, and I think a lot of people are very interested that it's that it's happening there. My guest is saxophonist Brian Landris, and man, it's been just an absolute pleasure talking to you. I hope you'll come back because it was really a blast, and I know you've Likewise. got a ton more stories, so uh, I'd love to hear them sometime. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming. It's, it's great to meet you. It's Thanks, been, man. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> That's music from Brian Landris. Thanks so much to Brian for being on the show, and thanks also to the folks at 92Y, particularly Merrill Wheeler, and also to my friend Ann Braithwaite for making this interview happen. As I mentioned at the start of the show, I'm giving away four CDs by Brian Landris, the first four people to email jason at thejazzsession.com with Brian in the subject line will win either a copy of his quartet record Traverse 
or his album Capsule, which is by the nine-piece band Kaleidoscope that we heard on today's show. So remember, send an email to jason at thejazzsession.com with Brian in the subject line, and the first four people to do so will win a copy of one of those CDs sent to you in the mail. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the logo. And in addition to the jazz session, I also do freelance writing. I write primarily bios and press releases and Wikipedia pages for artists of all kinds, both musicians and otherwise. If you would like to use my services, you can find rates and samples at cranewrites.com. Cranewrites.com. Thanks so much for listening. Another episode two weeks from today. Meanwhile, have yourself a lovely couple of weeks and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.